You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Abraham had learned to leave the choices to God, to trust God for his provision. He's finally getting it. He's finally becoming the man that God wants him to become, the father of the faith. And as I mentioned before, this sort of thing doesn't happen overnight. It's a part of a process. You might describe this as Abraham holding the things of the world ever so lightly. And that's one of the lessons that served up for us as well. After many failures, Abraham eventually learned how to trust the Lord, even when there were great difficulties. As Pastor Mike continues his teaching series through the book of Genesis, he'll be reminding you that you're still a work in progress, just like Abraham was. The Bible says that the righteous may fall 77 times, but they get back up each time. Even though you have salvation, you're still not going to be perfect, and you're going to have to have faith in the grace of God and get back up. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 13 as he continues his message, Lacking Principle. God gave them all of this livestock and all of these riches and all of this wealth. And so now they finally are moving in the direction of Canaan, only to find the famine. And now they go with all of their livestock, all of the riches that they had, and they go down to Egypt. And they're still in total disobedience unto the Lord. And because of the fact that Pharaoh, you got to understand the dowry thing. Remember, uh, Pharaoh thought that Sarah was Abraham's sister. So he entered into an agreement with him, and he offered him this dowry, which was obviously uh, quite costly, which only added now to all of Abraham and Lot's wealth, you see, right? And so that's how they acquired all of what is recorded for us, uh, both here in verses 2 and verse 5. So Lot and Abraham They prospered. They acquired cattle, livestock, and so on. And when they got back then finally to Canaan, the land that had been able to sustain them before was now inadequate to do so. And so what happened? Well, quarreling began amongst them, amongst the servants of both Abraham and Lot. It was just inevitable for that to happen. The issue became whose flocks should have the choicest pasture, 
whose flocks should be first at the wells? Well, anyway, notice here, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 13, Abraham moves, and in verses 8 and 9, to address this question, so Abraham said to Lot, verse 8, please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren, we're brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I will take the right. If you go to the right, then I will take the left. And so it's Abraham, which is commendable, who takes the initiative and also, at the same time, takes the lower seat. You see, Abraham had learned to leave the choices to God, to trust God for his provision. He's finally getting it. He's finally becoming the man that God wants him to become, the father of the faith. And as I mentioned before, this sort of thing doesn't happen overnight. It's a part of a process. You might describe this as Abraham holding the things of the world ever so lightly. And that's one of the lessons that served up for us as well. We need to also hold the things of the world ever so lightly. I mean, if God blesses us, we should hold those things in trust from God and then simply use them for his glory. That should be our perspective. That should be our understanding of the blessings of God. But you see, Lot's life was so shallow that when confronted with a choice like this, he could not help but choose what seemed to be better that is materially regardless of the company he would have to keep in order to acquire it. And unfortunately, how many people repeat Lot's same choice? You know what this reminded me of when I was putting the message together? It reminded me of, uh, remember after Jesus had been baptized down in the Jordan River? It's recorded for us, well, it's recorded for us in a couple of different places, but the, the text that I'm thinking about is recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel. And actually, he's either being baptized for the sins of the entire world or he's being consecrated for his Levitical, under the Levitical law for his beginning his priesthood. So whatever you like, those are my explanations of what was going on there. I mean, some people say, well, how in the world could Jesus be baptized if he was sinless? Wasn't John's baptism unto repentance? And the truth of the matter is yes. But remember, uh, Jesus paid the penalty for men's sins, past, present, and future. So anyway, both are plausible explanations. But nevertheless, after he's baptized by, by John at the Jordan River, the Bible tells us that he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And it was there that he was fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And all of a sudden, the tempter, who is the devil, comes along, and he lays these heavy temptations upon the Lord. And one of the most subtle and probably the greatest of the three was that he took Jesus to a high mountaintop and there showed him the kingdoms of, all, of the world. And then he suggested that if Jesus bowed down and worshipped him, he would give him all of those kingdoms. Which if you think about it, he was offering Jesus a shortcut to the very reason why he had come into the world in the first place. That was to redeem the world back unto himself, right? So think about it. In other words, here's the shortcut. You don't have to go the way of the cross. You don't have to go the way of suffering. All you got to do 
is bow down and worship me. And of course, you know, Jesus didn't accept that invitation and, and rebuked the devil. But this is what this, this is, this whole thing about Lot, this whole picture that's being painted here, this is simply what it reminds me of. Because, you know, think about us. You know, we, we want something so bad. And here's an opportunity to do that. And we're standing, if you will, if I can use this example from Matthew's Gospel, and by the way, it's recorded for us in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 4. We're standing upon a high mountain, while before us, the kingdoms of the world are spread out with all of its glory. And the devil comes alongside and he begins to whisper in our ear, right? Mike, it's all yours. That for one act of bowing down and worshiping the devil, it's all yours. I'll make it available to you. And by the way, I, you know, I, and I can go back and forth with this, but was it the devil's, was it true that he actually could offer him the kingdoms of the world? I mean, after all, the Bible tells us that he's the prince of the world, right? Isn't it he who's sort of controlling things that are going on in the world today? I mean, yes, I know that God still is upon the throne, right? And he's, and he's only being allowed to do those things that God allows him to do. But nevertheless, I, I, I believe that, you know, the title deed to earth was forfeited in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve when they chose to sin. And I believe that Revelation chapter 4 and 5, you know, the scroll that's given to the Lamb of God, that's the title deed to earth. Jesus comes back at that time to redeem the earth back unto himself once again. And now he's in control of it, and then that ushers us into that period of the seven years of tribulation, where before he establishes the new kingdom and the new earth, he purges the old world. And I don't know if you, I lost you with all of that. I just gave you a synopsis of the, almost the whole book of Revelation there. But. So maybe it was actually his to give, right? So anyway, he comes along and he whispers in our ears, Hey, Mike, you know, I, I know that you're chomping on the bit for this thing. Now listen, I can give it to you. It's within my capacity to be able to do that, within my power. And all you have to do is bow down and worship me. And you know what? We're so eager to do the best for ourselves, and we're prepared only to consider morality, that is, if it doesn't interfere with what they hold to be that main chance in life, or our main chance in life, right? Hey, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to have another opportunity to get what I'm looking to get. Morality? Eh, just check that off, and I'll just avoid that, and I'm just going to go for it, man. And so, what happens? They kneel before the tempter, only to find their promise that has been made by him is broken, and their soul is beggared forever. While the devil, laughing, disappears, leaving his duped, standing alone in the midst of a desolate wilderness. Man, that's the picture, right? That's absolutely true. So here's the question. What have any of us put before our own spiritual lives? And think about that. And I hope to God that you haven't, but maybe it'll serve as a protection and a warning, you know, because probably sometime in the future you're going to have to be facing your own situation like this. What was it? It could, fall in, it could be something like your job, 
It could be a relationship with someone of the opposite sex. It could be some social advancement, glamour, whatever, right? Where you're standing at that crossroads, what are you going to do? Remember what the title of this message is, Lacking Principle, right? You see, the difference between Abraham and Lot was this. Abraham had wealth, he had flocks, etc., but they did not have him. That's the difference between Abraham and Lot. Now, that brings us to our second point this morning, the first of which was the longest one, okay? So we're almost finished with this morning's study. Now let's consider, and this becomes our second and last point, Lot's downward path. And there's always a progression to this as well. It's always down, down, down. It's a downward spiral, right? It doesn't happen in an instant. It's a part of a progression. So you got to get, nip it in the butt. You got to get right to it, right from its very inception. Okay, so what was the progression of all of this? Lot looked towards Sodom. Let's go back to our text in verse 10. It says, And Lot lifted his eyes and saw all the plains of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. It was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. And so the first step in Lot's downward spiral was that he looked towards Sodom. Now what kind of looking are we talking about? Okay, what kind of looking are we talking about here? Well, this is not mere looking with the eyes. I mean, Abraham saw exactly what Lot saw. He saw the same thing. It didn't change in appearance, you know, for uh, Lot and then change in appearance for Abraham. They both saw the same thing, right? So Abraham looked. He saw the fertile plain along the Jordan. So what was the difference between them both looking? Well, you see, Lot was looking with an inordinate heart, as, I've already, as I already mentioned. A longing. He wasn't satisfied with what God had provided. Oh, dissatisfaction, folks. Protect your hearts against that. It'll cause you to look in the wrong direction, right? You can't help but look. It's a matter of, you know, for some of us, it's the second look. In passing, we make contact with, I'll just speak as a man here. You see a pretty girl, right? And, you know, it's, I mean, come on. She's a pretty girl. She's just a pretty girl. And the women, it's a good-looking guy, all right? And that's your first glance. But it's, it's not at that moment where you go off to Fantasy Island, you know, kind of a thing, and all of a sudden you put yourself in a relationship with them in your minds, and it's the second look that'll get you. We, we need to protect our minds in the way that we look. Lot was looking with an inordinate heart. He was longing. He wasn't satisfied with what God had provided. He wanted those things he imagined were missing in his life. And thus, he looked with covetous eyes. He looked in that direction. Hey, listen, gang. Beware how you look at things. So that's the first step in his downward progression. The secondly... A step in his downward progression. Notice uh, verse 12. We are told he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Well, we've already uh, addressed that phrase uh, in our opening statement this morning in this message. 
Now, someone may ask Lot the question, hey, Lot, you're pitching your tent. I mean, why don't you just go into the city? Now, initially, how would you think that Lot would respond to that question? I mean, Lot, I mean, after all, you're pitching your tent. Toward, I mean, it's obvious, you know, uh, it's something that you're entertaining. So why don't you just go ahead? I mean, why pitch it? I mean, why don't you just go in into the city? Now, Lot probably would have responded because it's simply too wicked of a city. And more than likely, that's the way he, that he would have responded. You see, initially, on, on Lot's part, he held certain reservations. There were certain reservations that were tied to Lot's life. But then again, he had second thoughts, and he probably then would have thought about and responded, but I suppose it does have certain advantages. You know, and so he may have entertained the idea of actually entering into the city. You see, this was Lot's problem. He was living close enough to the world to enjoy its advantages, but not too close to get caught up in its life. But there's the error, folks. That's where many of us, at least we believe that. We want to live, you know, we want to be in, in close proximity to the world to enjoy its advantages, but we don't want to get so close to get caught up in it. But eventually you will. Oh, how we need to be very careful about this as well. You see, the same spirit that brought Lot into the valley eventually brought him into the city, which then leads us to the third step. There are four steps, which then brings us to the next step. Notice it says there in verse 12 also, and then Lot was living in Sodom. You see that there in verse 12? And Lot was living in Sodom. And what a downfall. It's a pitiful thing. He's now living in Sodom. And while living in Sodom, he was tormented of soul by the things that he saw, by the things that he heard. But nevertheless, he lived there all the same. And you say, how do I know that? Well, the scripture tells us that in 2 Peter in chapter 2, in verses 7 and 8 and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. You see that there? So he was tormented of soul day by day by the things he saw, by the things that he heard. But nevertheless, he continued to live there still but not his family. His family became very accustomed to living there. His daughters, in fact, we are told, married men of Sodom. His wife longed for the city. And when God was about to judge Sodom and Gomorrah to deliver Lot and his family, what was going on? His wife refused to break from it, even at its destruction. And you know the story, and we'll get to it in one of our future studies here. She turned towards Sodom, and she was turned into a pillar of salt, right? We'll get to that in one of our future studies. So that's his third step that led to his downward spiral. And then lastly, the one last stage, we are told in chapter 19 and verse 1. Now we're really jumping ahead, but we'll get to this, and we'll get to it in great length and detail when we get there. But again, this is another part of the stage and the steps that Lot took that led to his downfall, we are told in chapter 19 of verse 1 in the book of Genesis, 
He sat in the gate of Sodom. Now, what does that imply? Well, the gate of a city was where judgments were made, where courts were held, where people who had disputes one with another would go, and then the elders of the city would resolve those disputes. And so, in a sense, then, Lot, as it is suggested here, set in the gate of Sodom, it means that Lot actually became an elder of the city of Sodom. He became a judge in the city of Solomon. Basically, the equivalent of a politician, a leader. And I don't know why he chose to do this. Maybe he was thinking, you know, if I can put myself in that place and position as a leader, as an elder, as a politician, you know, maybe I can make some changes. Maybe I could do something good. Maybe I can do something uh, constructive. Maybe I can make a difference. But you know what? <laughs> he did not change the city in the slightest. There wasn't one convert made while Lot lived there in that city. And then what was the effect of it all? Well, Lot lost his wife, right? As we will discover, she turned back, turned into a pillar of salt, not only lost his wife, but lost all of his possessions as well. You know, I just want to close with this uh, quoting from the Psalm 1. If you turn there with me, I just want you to read it. It serves up a great warning for all of us, and, and as well some great instruction. I'm just going to re read it, and then we're going to close. But in the first Psalm, Psalm 1, and I think that this appropriately applies here in closing out this morning's message. Blessed, or oh how happy, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Notice the, progress, the downward progression of the sinner here. First of all, he's walking. Secondly, he's standing. And then lastly, he's sitting. Right? Right? You see the downward progression? But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And his law, he meditates day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. In other words, he's watching over the righteous. But the way of the ungodly shall perish. A psalm in contrast, a picture in contrast, Abraham and Lot. Let's take these lessons to heart, folks, and let's continue to pray that God would build this virtue of principle within our hearts and within our lives. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house. When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. And as we draw close to the end of days, 
it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcast. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house. <laughs>